It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. Second power play chance. They have their lone, power, lone goal on the power play. There's Doug Wilson at the near point. Fires. He scores! Wilson from the near point. Blew it by Stephen. That was to the short side. And the Blackhawks lead 2-1. to one. Uh, Noonan picked up the loose puck off the draw. Dennis Rivard won the draw. Noonan turned and passed it behind him as he moved to his left. Wilson cut in behind him. Doug Wilson. The Detroit defenseman was standing right in front of the net. He saw Wilson crank it up. He tried to move out of the way. Stephen wasn't quite sure what he was doing, and there was a whole Well, you know, a lot of guys can shoot the puck and have a heavy shot, but Doug had a, a great knack of, you know, being able to get it through and pinpoint accuracy, and that's what kind of set him apart. We welcome you back to Dallas. The Stars lead the Sharks 2-1. to one. Randy Hahn with Drew Remenda. We can now confirm the San Jose Sharks arguably have just made the biggest trade in their history. The Sharks have another Thornton. Joe Thornton from the Boston Bruins comes to the Sharks in exchange for Marco Sturm, Wayne Primo, and Brad Stewart. Rarely do you see a three-for-one trade, but rarely Every does a player Every move Doug made, it's because he wants to win, I think, the Stanley Cup as much as any fan, and I think fans need to understand that. This is the Doug Wilson Hockey Hall of Fame Career Retrospective. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. After a wait a quarter century in the making, Doug Wilson is headed into, and likely by the time you hear this, will have been inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame after an incredible 16-year career as a player with first the Blackhawks, where he is still their all-time leader in points for a defenseman, and with the San Jose Sharks, where he was the team's first captain in a two-year stint to finish his career as a player. He has been the Sharks' general manager since 2003. Wilson, born in Ontario and part of a hockey family, was just 16 years old when he found himself playing for the Winnipeg Clubs of the old Western Canada Hockey League, following in his older brother Murray's footsteps and beginning a journey down a path that would lead him to hockey immortality. You know, my brother, who I idolized, and was the best big brother you could ever have, won four Stanley Cups, so he was six years older than me. So he was playing in the NHL, and you always look up and aspire to follow in his footsteps. But I was a young player playing in the Western League, traveling from Winnipeg all the way up to New Westminster and back, and I knew I loved the game. Uh, surprised that my parents would allow me to play in that league at that age, still trying to go to high school and graduate, but they did, so they saw something that uh, believed and supported me. I think your dream was to play in the NHL. Did I think it was realistic at that time? It was still a little far-fetched as a 16-year-old. His game would continue to ascend. From 1974 to 1977, Wilson played and starred for the Ottawa 67s of the Ontario Hockey League, where he notched 254 points in three seasons. Well, I grew. I, I uh, you know, from, from 16 to 17, I put on some weight and I grew. Uh, I also had the 
great honor of playing for one of the finest junior coaches, maybe hockey coaches, period, in Brian Kilray. And Brian Kilray uh, not only brought out the best in me, but he, he was a teacher not of, only of hockey, but of life. And he was one of the first calls that I got. He's a cherished friend and, and mentor on many different fronts. But he um, he would treat you like a man. He would believe in you. Uh, he would praise you. He would hold you accountable. He was tough. But I, I really give Brian Kilray an awful lot of credit for just about everything that happened in my hockey career, but it started that year. And it was no surprise that he was drafted sixth overall in the 1977 NHL draft by the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, there's always a lot of uh, advance notice for a high draft choice. That is Bob Verdi, one of the most celebrated sports writers in Chicago media history. Additionally, Verdi was awarded the Elmer Ferguson Memorial Award by the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2016. Is this kid going to think he's uh, king of the world or is he going to fit in? Is he coachable? You know, and uh, Doug just fit in seamlessly. Not only very gifted, obviously, but uh, he was a lot of fun. He was respectful. He was, uh, I think, somewhat in awe when he found out that his first road roommate was Stan Mikito. I think he's, I don't want to speak for Doug, but I, I, I think he was very much grateful for what Stan and his wife Jill did, uh, taking him in, taking him under their wing. Think of this. Here I am, kid coming from Ottawa. I was, I was an Air Force brat, so we'd moved a lot growing up, but I was moving from Ottawa to Chicago. I check into the Bismarck Hotel in my room my first roommate is Stan Makita and I've read his books and I and he took me into his family to be he was almost like my second father father unfortunately passed away just a few years after at a young age Stan Keith Magnuson, Dale Town, these people were my mentors and guiding lights, which I really needed. But the people that I played with, the quality of people, their love for the game, it was a great way to start out. And it was a it was a bit of a transition time in Blackhawks history at that point. In came some great players after that, the Denny Savards and Steve Larmers and all that. But I really cherish my time in Chicago. Great city, incredible people. He just, you know, the veterans on the team, you know, always looking very suspiciously in training camp. Okay, here's another draft choice, you know, mm-hmm. another big uh, can't-miss kid. Well, lo and behold, after about a week, they, he couldn't miss. Yeah, I think I think the thing that I remember most is uh, is how gritty uh, Doug was. Like everybody remembers him as the big slap shot guy and the offensive guy, but um, he had a bite to his game, and uh, you know you, you obviously recognized him right away with uh, with not wearing a helmet. Uh, but he played the game hard. He competed hard. Uh, tough in front of the net. Um, th- that, that's probably what I remember most about him uh, before I met him. That is Dean Evison, the current head coach of the Minnesota Wild, a former NHL player, of course, a former competitor of Wilson's before becoming his teammate with the Sharks. Evison said you knew what you were getting into when you went against Doug. Well, you knew you had to uh, to battle. I mean, in those days, uh, there was uh, uh, you know a serious battle level that had to be uh, brought to the table every time you come to the rink to get to the front of the net to try to score. I didn't score a whole lot, but I tried to compete to get to the front of the net. But you knew, uh, you know, when you when you play Chicago, certainly, and uh, and 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 when you played against uh, Doug Wilson, that you'd have to compete to uh, to get your space out there. Wilson continued to be one of the most dynamic blue liners in the league in year four of his NHL career, in which he registered 51 points. Yeah, I think I was figuring it out a little bit. You know, it was, uh, I'd had several different coaches, and I think the ability to, like Stan Makita tell me, Doug, just go play. You know, I came in and I learned the defensive side of the game from Bob Pulford. 
Uh, Bob Murray was a great partner, uh, really an underrated player, a heck of a heck of a teammate. And I think I just kind of balanced out my game. And uh, once I got to the third year, I, I felt I could be comfortable, I could be trusted in all situations. And I kind of was allowed to be more offensive and go do some of the things that probably fit my skill sets. But, you know, the, the veteran guys held you accountable. They were very hard on you because they cared about you and they wanted you to be a balanced player. And, uh, you know, the Keith Magnusons and the, the Stan Makitas in particular, they would hold you right and teach you every day. And you learn a whole lot more by listening than you do by speaking. So I spent a whole lot of listening. And in year five, he had one of the great seasons in NHL history, scoring 39 goals, still the fourth most for a defenseman in NHL history, while notching 46 assists for an 85-point season, which landed him the Norris Trophy. Look, at the year he won the Norris Trophy, I don't know if anybody remembers this, he played with a broken jaw. That is longtime Blackhawks announcer Pat Foley. For most of that season, he was uh, feeding himself through a straw. So an incredible accomplishment. And yes, 39 goals and the cannonading shot and the great playmaking ability that he's always had. By the way, he still is the top scoring defenseman in the history of an original six franchise by 150 points. Okay, <laughs> So the offense was always there, but completely overlooked in his play was his ability as a defensive player. I can tell you, I watched this guy play for over a dozen years. I broadcast every game he ever played in that time. And if you said to me, how many times did he get beat one-on-one? I couldn't fill up one hand. He was a great player in his own zone. That was overshadowed by how amazing he was offensively. But this was a great two-way player. This Hall of Fame recognition is way overdue, but uh, I'm so thrilled that it's here for him. And Bob Verde weighed in on that Norris Trophy winning season as well. I would say it was the overall totality of his game. And one thing, being here in Chicago where the team had been down, don't forget they lose Bobby Hull in 72. They try to sign Bobby Orr in 76, his knees shot. Lots of empty seats. I think that what I remember is the buzz that was back in the old stadium beginning in the 80s with with Doug and Savard and a really, really good team. It was a it was a fun team and a very, very successful team. But as we mentioned before, the uh, you know, there was this team in Edmonton on any one night they could on one any one shift they could put out six future Hall of Famers. I think it was a, a, a transformative year. I think, um, you know, I scored a lot of goals that year. and But it was an interesting year because I had to battle through some adversity. I, I broke my jaw and I got my, uh, my jaw was wired shut for seven or eight weeks. Uh, it's my first year of marriage. My wife somehow kept uh, feeding me through a straw and all those things. Depending on who you ask, Doug lost 25 pounds over the course of that Norris Trophy winning season in which his jaw was wired shut. But I think what happens is once you accomplish a certain thing, you want to hold yourself to that standard. As a hockey player, I felt the following year I was a better player all around. Wilson had 18 goals and 51 assists for a total of 69 points. I think I added some more things to my game. And then I had the good fortune in 84 of playing the Canada Cup with some of the greatest players in the game. The Mark Messiers, the Gretzkys, the Lowe's, the Larry Robinsons, the Ray Borks. And that was an amazing experience to build upon. So I think there is, they're kind of like stepping stones. One was individual, much more importantly was the, the Canada Cup where you're playing against the best players in the world, playing against Igor Larionov and the K- KLM line, but playing with teammates that uh, expected great things. So that, the following year from the Norris and the Canada Cup year, I, I personally felt better about those years. Wilson continued to be a dominant force in the NHL. In 83-84, he had 58 points, 13 goals. 
In 84-85, he had 76 points, 22 goals, and 54 assists. 85-86, 17 goals and 47 assists. 86-87, 16 goals and 32 assists. 87-88, cut short by injury. It was a different game, a lot, a lot uh, I think, tougher on individuals than Bob Verde. And one thing about Doug, here we go again, about the, the, uh, the flash and the panache. He was not easily handled by the opposition he was he he took no grief he wasn't a fighter or a, you know he wasn't going to start something but he was not going to be pushed around and I think he played through a lot of hurts they all did i i can't say that i didn't think he would make it through because he was so so gifted and uh and very motivated and very uh very much uh, a team, a team guy. He was a he was a really a solid team guy and a and a terrific uh, ambassador. I think you've seen that in San Jose. A couple of years he played there as the first captain and all. He's. I mean, if you're if you're another if you're a player now, how do you not want to play for Doug Wilson as your GM? I mean, well, he, uh, you would play out of guilt because you didn't want to disappoint him. Pat Foley weighed in on the injuries and questions regarding longevity for Wilson as well. Well, I knew he loved the game and he was going to do everything he could to play for as long as he could. I will tell you that I always thought he would finish his career in the red, white, and black. And when he left to go to the San Jose Sharks by his choice, because at that time the Blackhawks were run so poorly that he had a chance to become a centerpiece of an expansion team and he chose to do that. The Gunn brothers were unbelievable to him and him and his wife, Kathy. They treated him brilliantly rightfully so uh to become the centerpiece of that franchise he was still a marquee player when he became a san jose shark Mm -hmm. their first ever captain he was a great leader for that team continues in that role to this day uh sitting in a different chair uh but that was um he's been a as important a person as the San Jose franchise has ever had, I would suggest to you right now. Pretty special for them to have had him, uh, and we were heartbroken to lose him, believe me. Doug bounced back with 62 points in 88-89, 73 points in 89-90, and 40 in 90-91, with injury again taking its toll on Wilson. In 1991, of course, the San Jose Sharks were a reality, getting ready for their first ever season for the 1991-1992 campaign. Wilson was not happy with the direction of the Blackhawks and saw great opportunity in San Jose. Well, look at I, I I've, I've certainly felt terrible to lose him. Pat Foley. And he, everybody in Chicago did. He was a beloved figure as a Blackhawk. But again, at that time, the Hawks uh, were run in a way that uh, he just said, I think I need to move on. So um, it was his choice. Um, selfishly, I wish he would have stayed. But look at I get it. I mean, uh, he still had some great years as a hockey player left. And so go become the centerpiece of an expansion franchise. It was a great thing for the Sharks to be able to bring him in. He was really happy to be able to go there and help them get started. So it all worked. So I was the first ever expansion game that the San Jose Sharks ever played. If you remember, it was in the old Cow Palace. So Dougie gets me tickets to the game. I'm up in Lake Tahoe. I come down to see the first game the Sharks ever play in the Cow Palace. And I decide I'm going to bounce around the rink a little bit and go sit in a couple locations and see how fans are viewing this. And in the first period, I'm watching the game, and from behind me, I hear, oh, dude, look at that dude with no helmet. That is gnarly. I'm going to go get me a 24 jersey. So two first things happen there. 
first jersey the Sharks ever sold, and the first time the word gnarly was ever spoken in a hockey rink. Wilson was traded to the San Jose Sharks and brought immediate credibility to the expansion team. What was amazing about that decision was the opportunity of being in the ground floor of something brand new and to be like a pioneer and, and go to the beautiful Cow Palace and all that. But it was it was a really challenging, incredible opportunity. Easy for me to make that decision. I had the ability to choose four or five other teams during that time frame. But Mr. Gund in particular, his love for the game. What was really difficult is my kids were uh, seven, five, three, and one. So my wife had to go from Chicago where she was born. She had her mother and family and support there to a place she'd never been. And here we are going on 20 day road trips and she knew nobody. So she's the Hall of Famer in our family to be able to do that, support that whole journey. But uh, it, was, it was a great choice and decision coming out to San Jose at that time. Wilson was traded to the San Jose Sharks and brought immediate credibility to the expansion team. Well, there were not a lot of in-depth hockey fans, right? A lot of the teams that, there were some, a lot of the fans that followed the team were, people were just excited San Jose was going to have a franchise in the National Hockey League, actually franchise, and also, you know, hockey's different than the other sports and kind of interested in that. And so I think the first impression the fans had was, hey, this guy doesn't have a helmet. That is legendary San Jose Mercury News writer Mark Purdy who reminisced about the timeline which saw Doug Wilson come to San Jose. That was kind of the discussion. The Sharks have this guy who doesn't have a helmet, and he plays, you know, on defense, and he skates really well. I remember a guy named, you know who Sam Skinner is? Mm -hmm. I remember him telling me, I think I was, I, I missed the first exhibition game, but I was, I don't know why, probably covering a college game. I think it was a Saturday night. And the next day I saw Sam in the press box and says, man, Doug Wilson, he skates, the way he skates, you can just tell he skates beautifully. You know, and I said, well, good, but you got to score goals too, right? <laughs> um, but uh, so I think that was the initial impression. Like this guy's obviously a pro. He's obviously a skilled skater, better than these other guys. And he doesn't wear a helmet. I think fans glommed onto that. As much as anything, when when the team actually had they had much more success the first season than the second season. Doug got a lot of credit for that. Now you know I I, I know he only played he only played eighty six games for the team. I think about yeah. forty some each year. But in, when he was in the lineup, you could tell there was a difference. I remember I had a friend who was uh, the assistant general manager of the Giants, Ralph Ralph Nelson, and he, and I think I I went to a game with him. And he said, without knowing, he didn't didn't know much about hockey at all. But he, I, I remember he looked at, he was watching, and he said, you know what? That Wilson guy, he has the look. We have this thing in baseball. We talk about, you know, guys that you know, have that serious look about the game. And he has that look. I thought, okay, that's interesting. I, you know, so... So he, he definitely made an impression. I'd love to, I never really sat down with Doug and talked in depth about those two seasons he played. You know, we kind of joked around about it from time to time, you know, some of the stuff that happened on the road and all that. What was the, like kind of month by the month, what happened there, you know, how that, how that all, and particularly then when the second season, when things really off the table. But I, I, I have to say my impression was, okay, so the coach was George Kingston, wonderful mm -hmm. guy, great guy. He'd been a college coach in Canada, never had another NHL head coaching job. And uh, but I have to say that I think probably the players on the team probably listened to Doug as much as they did to George. No knock at George. George mm -hmm. was a really good guy and, you know, he was doing his best. But I think the fact that Doug had had the NHL experience, I think the players looked at Doug uh, more than George, actually. You know, it, that was more like about it, and that's what we needed. That is original member of the Sharks and former Sharks captain Jeff Odgers. 
you know, obviously, you know, we're an expansion team and uh, we were not afforded the uh, luxury that uh, like the Vegas Golden Knights in Seattle do on how we were able to draft, uh, which probably worked out good for me. I was able to be on the team, but it was, you know, I mean, we needed a guy like that who had a cool head and realized that there was going to be some tough nights. It just was. I think one of my best stories about Doug Wilson, we were playing in Pittsburgh. Uh, we were losing 10 to nothing after the second period, if you can believe it. The National Hockey League game, we ended up losing 11-2. Um, our defense had a, a tough night, you know, playing against Mary Lemieux and Rick Tockett and uh, Ron Francis. And I remember, you know, Doug, instead of, you know, berating our guys and making us feel worse, you know, I remember him uh, telling all the guys once we got to the hotel, okay, all the D-man, be in the lobby in five minutes and he took all the boys out on D for a, you know, kind of get together, talk things over and, uh, you know, trying to build up guys rather than tear them down, which is really what we needed. And former original San Jose Shark and current assistant coach with the Tampa Bay Lightning, Rob Zettler, weighed in on that leadership style of Doug Wilson and how it impacted those first Sharks teams. He was more of a kind of arm around your shoulder kind of guy. Uh, especially as a captain, as a fellow player. You know, it was never something to call somebody out uh, publicly or to do that, you know, in the dressing room. He'd be, he'd have that conversation with you outside of the room. He'd mm-hmm. take you out for lunch, uh, take you out for a beer, uh, that kind of stuff. And, you know, and that's where, you know, we became friends too, because I, I really enjoyed that side of Doug. And, you know, he likes to uh, hang out with teammates and hang out with the guys and share stories and when you when you're able to do that for a young guy like me at the time to be able to spend a lot of time with a guy that had been around for that long with that kind of success it's it's enlightening you know you really want to hear those stories and sometimes you know you know i find you you start talking you start telling stories i'm one of the older guys now and you wonder if these guys really want to hear it and then you if you can take yourself back to those days when you were the young guy i wanted to hear them and i wanted to hear them all because uh, I was very curious, and uh, uh, so Doug was able to share all those all those stories with us, and it was it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. At this point of Doug's career, however, the cumulative injuries had taken their toll, and he was not the same guy that he wanted to be. Although he still would flash that impact player ability that he had on the ice, but maybe not as often as he would have liked. Truth be told, Ted, it didn't happen quite as often as even Doug would have liked at that time because he was suffering from uh, a variety of ailments. Uh, In fact, if you go back and check out his very last game, we never knew it was his last game, but it was the night that the Sharks ended a 17-game losing streak in Winnipeg at the old arena with the Queen's portrait in one end of the rink and everybody expecting that maybe the Sharks were going to set a new record for futility because Ten minutes into the first period, he got hit by Igor Ulanov and he got injured and he never actually played a game in the NHL again. So he dealt with a variety of bumps and bruises and some more serious problems during that time. That is the voice of the Sharks, Dan Rusinowski. The thing that that I would always say is that he never let anybody know about them. He never mm-hmm. really talked about them. He always put them in the back of his mind because he knew that as a leader of a team, he had to uh pr- you know, have an an air of being able to overcome that. And he was dealing with some serious challenges to his career at that point because of these injuries. So as it turned out, that was the end of the second year. I think that one thing that Doug would have liked to have done was play one more year and be able to play at SAP Center. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. But we did see a lot of really good games that he played. Uh, I remember going, you know, back to Chicago for the very first time. That was kind of a wild brawl filled matchup back in those days. And uh, Doug 
had an assist on the first goal that the Sharks scored that night against his old team. Very emotional day. I remember that when he played his thousandth game, the Blackhawks came and, and honored him at the Cow Palace, which was a, certainly a, an unusual thing to do for an opposing player at that time. We see it a little bit more often now, mm-hmm. but uh, they took the time. I remember Dirk Graham was the captain of the Blackhawks and they gave Doug a, a vacation to go golfing in Scotland, which, uh, which was really a nice thing for the Blackhawks to do when he played his thousandth game against Chicago, which was a nice little twist to his whole career. But uh, and, and the Sharks won that game, by the way, as I remember. So that's that was a that was another good thing. But uh, so many different things that, that come to mind really for me for those years. And, and, and I just keep coming back to some of the familiar themes. I think of leadership. I think of class. I think of doing the right thing and, you know, standing up for people who have had things done wrong to them. And I think that that's something that Doug was really, really good at. He was good at working with problem people, so to speak, people that had difficulties off the ice. He was the guy that was was there to to provide leadership, guidance, counsel, uh, a pat on the back, a kick in the butt sometimes. Mm -hmm. He was that guy that did all of those things. And then when it came down to the end of the day, he was there with his wife, Kathy, and and their four children, their beautiful kids, great family. And that was important to him, too. And I just think that that balance that he had between you know, having fun with the guys, being a great player on the ice, and also being a a dedicated family man is just something to really look up to. And you do get that sense that so many of the players, especially with those early teams, and even now, that everybody looks to Doug Wilson's calming presence as a guiding light for the franchise. TV play-by-play announcer for the San Jose Sharks, Randy Hahn. I think so. I mean, I always refer to Doug Wilson as the Dick Clark of the NHL. He he never ages. He looks exactly the same (laughs) as he looks at some of those pictures when he was younger. But, uh, you know, Doug has always had that calm, steady demeanor. And I think that that's important, certainly what he does now uh, in a business as a manager where... (laughs) And I have difficulty with this as a broadcaster, the amount of patience it takes to have that job of identifying and then drafting and then developing and waiting for players to mature. That takes a while and it takes a lot of patience. And Doug has that patience. And I think that's uh, among his greatest virtues and was very valuable to the Sharks when he came into a locker room that had players coming from all over the place uh, to you know put together that first team. There was the cross-pollination draft before that with the Minnesota North Star franchise and you know there was just a hodgepodge of players and to have somebody with that pedigree as a player in the NHL with one of the original six franchises and then as you so aptly point out to have that very calming steady not too high not too low Mm -hmm. demeanor that's the kind of leader you want to have uh, as part of the foundation of your franchise in that first year and I think it was uh, very impactful. Now, obviously, with those early Sharks teams, you have guys coming from all over the league to form this new team, former competitors. I asked Dean Evison what it was like to being a competitor to suddenly being the teammate of Doug Wilson. It's uh, it's definitely different. I mean, every time that uh, that I've had an opportunity to switch teams and and or uh, and new teammates that I had uh, competed against, it uh, it's difficult at the start. But it's it's wonderful to get to know them, uh, you know, and see what uh, how they tick. 
um, you know, off the ice and, uh, you know, within the dressing room and what have you. And, and, uh, somebody like Doug, obviously everybody knows the, the, the class, um, you know, the, uh, just, the, just everything, the integrity, the, the, you know, everything about the game, um, and him as not only a player, a person, um, is, is just exceptional. And certainly, um, I found that out right away with meeting him, uh, you know, not only his, his calmness and, and, uh, you know, his leadership qualities, but him as a person and, um, caring about everybody within our dressing room, uh, in those San Jose, uh, early years, we didn't have a lot of success on the ice, but we sure had a real good team, uh, bonded, uh, group that, uh, that played hard each and every night. Doug Wilson's NHL career came to an end on February 14th, 1993. A young Dan Rusinowski on the call. In the right wing corner of the Sharks zone, Kissio, Garpenloff, and Goodrow are on for the Sharks. And Kissio leads it up front for Doug Wilson. And he is just nailed by Igor Ulanov. And Doug Wilson's hurting, and the Sharks are going after Ulanov. Garpenloff steps in as Wilson is injured. Ulanov tripped up Doug with a hip check that got Doug's knee, and he's getting up slowly. And now Doug stepping in, going after Ulanov. You don't see Wilson do that very often, but there's a scramble for all kinds of bodies at the near side of the center ice area. And that started with what you might call a leg check on Doug Wilson, and he's hanging on to his right knee as Tommy Woodcock, the Sharks trainer, comes out to take a look. And Doug uh, was down on the ice for a good three seconds. Johan Garpenloff went right after Ulanov, and now Wilson is being helped to the dressing room as he has an injured right knee. Mark Purdy. I, I, that would be another thing to ask Doug, how many healthy games he actually ended up right. playing. You know? um, but I, I think it was pretty clear that, because he's only played 40-some games the first season, that like this was going to be, we'll see how the second season goes. When he got his, his last injury, I'm sure I must broach with him, like, is this it for you? And and he was always hopeful. Uh, you know, it's too bad he never got to play a game at the new arena. I think that's really what he was hoping would happen, that he could kind of take this franchise and carry it into the new building and, uh, you know, be part of that. And, and it's too bad he wasn't able to do that. It was pretty clear he was not going to be able to play after that last injury. Let, let, let me just say that. Wilson's life was then at a crossroad. He had worked with Coca-Cola to develop his business skills and business sense and was very involved with the Players Association during his career and even became the president of the Players Association from 1992 to 1993. But he knew he had a competitive fire that was drawing him back to the world of hockey in a more involved capacity. I want to stay in the game. In what capacity? I'm not sure. I just know that I've been traveling a lot. Um, I had uh, some different opportunities to look at. I, I was fortunate enough to be invited uh, uh, by Dean to be involved with the um, player development side. I'd explored different things. I was still with the Players Association at that time. I'd been former president, so we were in the middle of collective bargaining. The game of hockey is what I love, and uh, to find something that fit the balance of what I wanted to do, uh, that my family uh, would support some of the traveling decisions. Hockey had been a huge part of my life up to that point. That's what I wanted to do, yes. In 1997, Wilson was named the Sharks Director of Player Personnel. And then in 2003, he took over as the Sharks general manager, replacing Dean Lombardi. No, I think we all knew that he was going to be a manager at some point, um, just just because the way that he conducted himself, right? I mean, he was just, he was managing us, uh, you know, as, as the captain of, of our hockey club. 
um, you know, when he was playing. So um, we, we, we all, I think we all knew that, uh, that he had that uh, in the cards, but uh, so I don't think it was a surprise to any of us that he went on to be a general manager. That is Dean Evison when asked if he saw Doug in an executive capacity during his playing career, a question I also posed to Rob Zettler. I remember asking him one time, he said he had zero interest in ever being a coach. So <laughs> I said that to him, do you ever want to coach? He's like, God, no, I never, I never want to do that. Too much, uh, too much insecurity. So, so he gets to, he gets to decide who the next coach is instead. But, you know, he was always, I think he was always more interested in the, on the executive side. Um, you could see that through his time in the PA and then uh, how that quickly morphed into, um, you know, director of player development for the Sharks and then quickly GM of the Sharks. And you don't hold a job for 20 some years without knowing what the hell you're doing. So obviously he does. He's well-respected around the league. You know, I've been able to work on a couple teams and I know in talking and having those conversations with other GMs, Doug is very well-respected uh, for the job he's done with San Jose. A lot of the trades he's been able to make in San Jose, you think about that, like, you know, everybody calls it big game fishing and, and he's probably one of the best at it, you know, bringing in some big time players, Joe Thornton, Eric Carlson, list, Fred Burns, the list goes on. I uh, know, you know, around the league, he's well, well, very well, well respected. One question I specifically posed to a number of the people I talked to was their reaction to the idea that there were a number of younger people who know more about Doug Wilson, the big-time general manager, as opposed to Doug Wilson, the game-changing defenseman, Bob Verde. I think you should go and look at some tapes. The one without a helmet, you know, the last one, I think. One yeah. of the ones, just watch how uh, a very commanding presence. I know uh, he's not going to tell you how good he was, and he's not going to show you pictures from this uh, scrapbook, but uh, if you want to see what a great player he was, there's got to be some tapes, maybe even some black and white, but uh, he was a terrific, terrific player. And right up with all the uh, great offensive defensemen in in uh, in that era. And again, I am repeating myself, but he was he was truly unsung. I mean, Tony Esposito, may he rest in peace. He said, you know, Doug was just Doug just never got us in trouble. He was he was so smart and. Uh, I think that that's like Bobby Orff. He always had the puck. Uh, that's the greatest defense, but he didn't always have the puck. And he played with uh, Bob Murray, one of the great defense. If the kids now are following the Sharks and just see Doug walking around in his suit and tie and soon his Hall of Fame ring, if you want to see what uh, what it was like back in the day, turn on some uh, old tapes and watch a guy who really, uh, he, he was a commanding presence on the ice. Dean Evason. Yeah, and I think I think he did the same thing as a player, right? He just he was an intelligent player. Um, he's an intelligent manager. Uh, he, he doesn't rush to uh, decisions. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs, obviously, of his of his workings as a general manager, but I just know that he didn't panic as a, as a player. I don't think he panics as a manager, and I think he's well thought of. I can likely guarantee you that he surrounds himself with really good people. Um, and he gives them a voice to uh, to, to to help him and and uh, and and structure a team um, and things that I learned from him as a as a player. I've tried to do the same thing as a coach here, and I've tried to make our coaching team as much a team as we want our hockey club to be. Um, you know, a, a close knit group on and off the ice. We want our coaching team and our management team to do the same thing. So I'm sure he's doing the same things, and I learned a lot from him in that regard. Jeff Rogers. One thing about Knowing Doug, the executive, 
you know, the way he comes across and the way he carried himself uh, is the same way he did as a player. You know, like you said, he was always the, the coolest guy in the room, but you knew he meant business. You know, mm-hmm. he, he did. He was serious. He was uh, took the game seriously. He thought hockey, lived it, breathed it, slept hockey. And um, that's why he's had the career he's had, both as a player and now in management. Well, I, I think that that's why hockey is kind of special because we like to have historians of the game and students of, of the history of the game. Uh, as you get to love the game, that's what happens to you. But when you first get introduced to the game, as you mentioned, when young kids are watching the game, it kind of reminds me of, you know, well, who's Paul McCartney? Isn't that, wasn't he, uh, who are the Beatles? Wasn't that the band Paul McCartney was in before yeah. he was in Wings? You know, and, and even that's a, a dated state. Now, so you know these are these are things that the generations have to deal with. But uh, once you start digging deeply into the history of the game and realizing what heritage we have, you're going to find Doug Wilson's name everywhere, and I think you're going to find it at the very top as a player and as a manager. From Ruzi to Randy, who I asked about his reactions to the many massive trades Doug Wilson has made over his time as the Sharks general manager. Well, probably the Thornton trade because it was blockbuster. Yeah. Uh, You know, Joe was, everybody knew Joe was going to be certainly a star and quite possibly a superstar, which of course he turned out to be and a first ballot Hall of Famer. And uh, I'll remember uh, sitting in the rink the night the trade went down, uh, November 30th of 2005, and we were playing the Dallas Stars, and we had heard that the Sharks were involved in a trade with Thornton, and we thought it was Sean Thornton. <laughs> and then all of the sudden, Marco Sturm, Wayne Primo, Brad Stewart are are not on the ice for warm-up, and players who thought they were healthy scratched had to scramble to get into the game. And then gradually through the broadcast, we found out that, in fact, it was Joe Thornton. And, and it, I mean, it really rocked the hockey world because there was no rumor about it. So often now with all the connected, um, uh, you know, uh, experts or um, whatever you, you want to call them uh, in the NHL, the insiders, they have the information in the lead up to the trades, you, mm-hmm. you already know a player is in play like a Jack Eichel, but no one was suggesting that Joe Thornton was in play and that Boston was going to move him. They had, they had just drafted him a couple of years, number one overall before that. So when the trade was made, uh, it really stunned all of us. And, and I was also shocked at the Eric Carlson trade as well. And, and loved that trade mm-hmm. when Doug Wilson made it. And the fact that, uh, you know, when the trade first started, started to leak out. It was, it was rumored the team uh, that uh, Tomas hurdle was in that trade and that he was going to go back the other way to Ottawa, but we still thought fair enough, you know, you're getting a two-time Norris trophy winner. And uh, that was a surprising trade uh, at that time, but we had our, you know, Doug had already broken the seal of surprise with the Thornton trade, but that was a stunner. <laughs> and uh, as I say, uh, it, it transformed the Sharks franchise into kind of just being there. And all of a sudden we were on the NHL hockey map uh, in a way that we never were before. And we became much, uh, much watch, must watch TV that first year when, when uh, Jumbo won the uh, MVP and Chichu won the scoring race and, uh, the, you know, the goal scoring. It was a phenomenal time. And of course, that carried on for over a decade with Jumbo. Doug Wilson, a Norris Trophy winner. First-team All-Star in 81-82, second-team All-Star 84-85, and again 89-90. Eight times an All-Star game participant. 
a gold medal championship member of Team Canada in the World Canada Cup Series in 1984, a two-time Norris Trophy nominee, the all-time leader in points by a defenseman in Chicago Blackhawks history, the first captain in San Jose Sharks history, one of the most influential general managers in the history of the National Hockey League, and now a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. You know what, I, I think just not only was he was he a great player, but how he just, his people skills, really just, uh, he exuded class, he taught you how to be a pro, and I think when you think of Doug Wilson, yeah, the first thing you think of is great teammate and class. He brought credibility and class, and certainly a land to the San Jose Sharks organization. He brought all of those qualities that you need in an organization that was very, very young. And so he was a mature product coming into an area that was being developed. And I think that that gave an example to everybody uh, as to what a manager should be like, what a captain should be like, what a teammate should be like. And I think that that built the character of the organization from the very beginning. A big thanks to Dan Rusinowski, Randy Hahn, Mark Purdy, Dean Evason, Rob Zettler, Bob Verdi, Pat Foley, and Jeff Rogers, all of whom were extremely generous in sharing their time and their stories about Doug Wilson. And Doug, congratulations on becoming a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off. Hudson is ready to come on the ice now. Here's Graham. He's not given much rule. Chelios made a play to Wilson. He shoots. 